This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. Grace, and I'm answering questions. I'm the author of This Naked Mind, and so I have a question. It says, hi, Annie. I've just finished the alcohol experiment, and I had one mindful slip at day four, but I've been alcohol-free ever since. I basically had issues with alcohol since the first sip, and I always thought and had been told directly or indirectly that I'm weak, strange, not drinking the right way. You have taught me that that's not true, that alcohol is dangerous and addictive. And while I can't escape the responsibility for my life so far, I can escape blame. So my question is, why isn't everyone addicted? There's certainly some people who can drink one or two and stop or drink a beer uh, a night or two and the amount doesn't increase over time. What kind of magical beings are these? I know they exist because I'm married to one. I also want to thank you for keeping the alcohol experiment free. It's helped me so much and I don't think I would have done it if it would have cost money. I would have thought it would probably be a waste of money. So for those people like me who it works for, I just want to thank you. And um, so anyways, yes, the alcohol experiment is free and is always going to be free at alcoholexperiment.com. So if you haven't gone over there and checked that out, it's really life-changing and incredible. Uh, In terms of why, who are these magical beings? Why isn't everyone addicted? So um, I'm going to share with you a study that I um, read and it basically, the, the study Um, And actually, I don't think I read this study. I think I was told about this study. And it was where mice were force-fed alcohol. Okay, first of all, they were force-fed alcohol because they wouldn't naturally drink it. They were offered alcohol and they turned their noses up there and like, no, we're not gonna drink that, it's not good. So their instinct said, no, 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 stay away from that. But they were force-fed alcohol and 100% of the mice that were force-fed alcohol over time became addicted. And so it's like, okay, well, what's different, right? If alcohol we know is addictive, it has the addictive qualities of overstimulating the pleasure center, creating a need for itself, creating tolerance, which means if you drink some, you're gonna need more over time. All of the things that addictive substances has, it has. But why then, and this is true for anything, why why do some people get so addicted to sugar, right? Or electronics. You know, I have one son who loves video games, crazy. And we really have to moderate with him like how much time he spends on them because he would do it all the time. And another son who just doesn't even care about video games. So what is it? Why is that different? when these things are addictive. Alcohol is addictive to beings with flesh and blood and bones. And so I believe that if we were force-fed alcohol, so say we were force-fed a six-pack of beer a night for a year, however long, who knows, but we would all become addicted to it. We would all develop that tolerance. We would all develop all the things, the chemicals would change inside of us. Our brain changes in response to, to the alcohol that's coming into our system. All those sorts of things happen. Now, the pace of which that happens, because we're not much and we have this level of free will where we can say, oh, wow, I drank that and it gave me a hangover. I actually only want to drink one or I want to moderate this. So we have this level of decisiveness around it really changes things and it makes it appear as if there's some people who just like fall directly into the pit and some people who are just these magical beings who never drink. And it's this whole idea of normal drinkers, right? As if it's normal to put something in your body that is very toxic to the body. And if you can't put that toxic thing in your body, then somehow you're broken and something's wrong with you because you can't drink normally, which is what um, this woman is, is describing so well. And the interesting thing about this is that There are certainly a lot of things that can prevent somebody from 
really falling into the pit immediately, right? There are things like financial situations. I have a very good friend and she, when she was in college, she said, I didn't have a ton of money. And when we go out to dinner, I knew I could choose drinks or dessert. <laughs> and I always chose dessert. And so she said, I would have drank, but I just felt I wanted dessert more. And so I, I didn't choose it. And that obviously prevented her. There's a lot of things where, you know, just in your mind, there's some, um, some guardrails around drinking where you don't want to drink that much. I remember when I first started drinking, I knew I didn't want to be tipsy in public. I knew, especially because all my drinking initially was done in corporate situations. So I had a method. I'd have a glass of wine and a glass of water, 16 ounces of water between every glass of wine. And that really helped keep me for years and years in this normal drinker place, right? But then over time, it changed. There's a lot of aspects. You know, I really um, kind of argue against this idea of an addictive personality because I think it just lumps all of these personality traits that can be incredible and amazing and phenomenal about us as human beings into this one very stigmatized uh, frame of addictive personality. And it's not scientifically proven. You know, scientists have basically thrown out this term, but there are personality traits, you know, like the desire to try new things, the desire to move forward, the desire to be a risk taker. Um, that can lead to somebody saying, oh, I'm going to try that. I'm going to do that. I'm going to move forward with that. There's also, um, you know, tolerance for discomfort. So one person might have a few drinks the next morning, not feel good and be like, oh, I'm only going to drink a, a, a beer because I know after a beer, like my aunt, she's like, I know after a beer, I never feel good. And so her tolerance for discomfort is, is much less than me. I'm like, I'm going to suffer the discomfort and have the hangover because I know I want to drink so much more. So when you bring in like our own bodies and, and absolutely while they can't find any gene, they have not found like a specific gene or a specific set of genes that like, yes, this is the gene to test for to see if somebody has a propensity for addiction. They haven't found that, but that isn't to say that there isn't some genetic component as well. And so there's all sorts of these things. But the main thing to know is that human beings are susceptible to addiction. And so it, the, the filter I always run everything through is like, if I believe that I am broken somehow and that's why I got addicted, how does that make me feel and how does that make me behave? How does that make me show up in the world? As opposed to the belief that, oh, you know, yeah, I made some choices, but I got addicted. And that's a lot to do with the fact that alcohol is addictive. How does that make me feel? And how does that make me behave? How does that make me show up in the world? Now, I will say that there's one really pivotal thing that I think across the board does differentiate that moment of going from a relationship with alcohol that's mostly into control in control to a relationship with alcohol that becomes out of control and that thing is when we start to drink to self-medicate and there's so much science behind this so many studies and so much research um, the work of dr kevin mccauley is really pivotal in this area and so many others but this is what this looks like if you talk to anybody who's drinking has eventually become to a point where it's a problem and it's out of control and you say okay what when did you start to self-medicate with alcohol most people can remember a specific time now for some people who have had a very traumatic childhood and the first drink that they had at say age 11 or age 13 that first drink all of a sudden created a deep addiction because guess what happens 
alcohol in the sense of numbing the brain and numbing pain of emotion and physical pain works. Alcohol actually takes and slows down the communication between your neurotransmitters. And so you feel less. And you look at this, if you drink a little bit, you feel a little numb, a little more numb, a little more numb. And then finally, you're unconscious. That is the definition of numb. They used to use alcohol as an anesthetic in surgeries until they realized the amount that they had to give someone for them to be in surgery was so toxic. And so they found less toxic things that they now use as anesthesia. And that's just so interesting because alcohol does work. So if you've had a very traumatic childhood and you're living your life at this high level of anxiety, fight or flight, pain and boom, you have that first drink, guess what it's going to do? Your brain is going to say, oh my gosh, that thing you just did, that relieved that pain. Do that thing again. And then your brain's acting exactly how it should for your survival, for your best interest, learning the thing that's positive for you to do, but it doesn't realize that the thing that's positive is also very, very addictive. And so Nothing is necessarily broken in you. It's just that your brain is doing the best it can with, with the tools that it has and can't differentiate between something that is relieving that pain in the moment. Now, the thing about alcohol is it doesn't relieve the pain for very long. Yeah, you can drink yourself into oblivion and become unconscious, but then you wake up just a few hours later, right? And so although it works as a numbing agent and it can trick our brain into saying, oh, that works, it is definitely not a long-term thing. It's much like I always use this analogy of like you have a festering wound, right? And then you take a Band-Aid alcohol and you put it over the festering wound. You might not see the wound anymore, but it's in there and it's still festering. And now it's in a moist, you know, warm place where it can grow bacteria and even get worse, right? And that's a lot. It's, it's really addressing the symptom, but not the cause. So that's why, yeah, if you're in trauma, but for me, it was really pivotal, a moment in my life where my drinking really changed was after the birth of my second son. And I experienced very severe postpartum depression, which was a surprise because I didn't experience with my first son. And so for me, that really changed. And I didn't realize it at the time. It's very hard to pinpoint this at the time because it's so subtle. But for most people who end up drinking at you know to a point where it becomes a problem for them, you can say, okay, when when did you start to use it to self-medicate? And so I think almost across the board, if I had one thing to tell people who are still in that take it or leave it drinking phase, I would say, don't drink for stress. Don't drink to relieve your stress, to self-medicate, because even just relieving the stress of being a mom or having a high-powered career or just the stress of everyday life in our society, once you start to drink to relieve stress, how your brain reacts to the alcohol becomes very different neurochemically, and it's a very different ball game. And then all of a sudden you can find yourself somewhere you never wanted to be. So anyway, good to see you guys. Have a great, great day, and I hope that helps. And again, alcoholexperiment.com is always free. So if you want to join that and dip a toe and just try 30 days alcohol free, join me there. Are you looking to connect with like-minded people? Sometimes maybe you feel like as someone who knows all this information from the snake in mind or the alcohol experiment that you're living in a world of muggles and people just don't speak your language. That is why I created The Exchange. The Exchange is an online community where we meet face-to-face -face, live video calls multiple times a week with people from all over the globe just to connect, to have somewhere you're seen and you're heard and you feel less alone and really that you can give back and get the support you need. 
So if this sounds great to you, check it out at thisnakedmind.com backslash exchange. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast as it truly helps the message reach somebody who might need to hear it today.